0: to the latest edition of the Azure for Sports podcast. I'm Suzanne Tedrick, and as always, I'm joined by my Azure Partner in Crime, Mr. John Flynn. What's going on, John?
1: Hey, Suzanne. How are you? Good to see you again.
0: Good to see you. I'm digging all of the lights that you have on in the, in the background. You're, you're truly stepping up all of the production values for this
1: for through this the roof. Through yes. <laughs> the we're, we're, we're no hold no expenses spared over here. I do like the fact that you're coming to us from your summer home as well. That's lovely as we see the tail end of summer. Yes. <laughs>
0: Please, please thank the uh, the green screen uh, as part of the, the Restream package. So, but thank you. Always a pleasure to see you and really excited for our conversation today, where we're going to be talking about a little bit more about IBC, their, their recent conference and the latest and greatest and its, its implications for our work as it relates to not just Azure in sports, but Microsoft in sports. And so really excited to have with us today, all from our own backyard, from Microsoft, Simon Crownshaw Elliot Sarkatov and Andy Beach guys thank you for for joining us today
2: it's nice to be here yeah hi thanks for, <laughs> having, thanks, us. Thanks
0: for having us oh, it's a sincere pleasure so we always start off by just asking tell us a little bit more about yourself so we'll go uh, a little bit round Robin here and I'll start with with Simon awesome
3: Um so uh, I'm really fortunate to be here. Nice to see you again, John and, and, and team. I think, you know, from my standpoint, I've been at Microsoft now, you know, nearly come up on two years. Um, I joined, um, having spent over 15, 20 years in the studio space, right, with Disney and others. And, um, you know, really excited about what Microsoft can do. Um, both all up in media and also in sports, and it was just a really exciting opportunity. I'm lucky in my role uh, that I get to think about the strategy all up in terms of what are we doing, what is, and what does that mean, right? Both in the here and now, but also where do we need to be in three years' time? Um, I think everyone at Microsoft is always thinking about what's the next big thing that's coming up. Um, I'm fortunate to work with both Elliot and Andy, um, and some cases even John, right? In terms of what are we doing? Um, that's right. And I think. Uh, On the Microsoft side, right? It's one of those unique places, right? Having come from the outside and and like I said, almost like two years ago now, you really are uh, amazed by what Microsoft can do, right? I think um, that's what I'm impressed by every day. And that's not just the technology; it's the talent and everything else that comes with that. So for me, um, I'm super blessed to be part of the, the Microsoft team and, and what we're do, trying to do in media. And I think, to be honest, it's it's Microsoft time to do more in media entertainment. We are there. I think the customers are expecting it. The industry is expecting it. And now it's our time to deliver.
0: Wonderful, Simon. Thank you so much. And I, I fully agree. I, I think we we have yet to see the the full power and capabilities at Microsoft can yield within this particular space. And I'm excited to see what exactly we can, what we can bring forward. So thanks for, for joining us and uh, Elliot, I'm going to uh, ask you to introduce yourself and a little bit about what you do at Microsoft. Sure,
4: Thank you. Uh, so I'm Elliot, I'm the account executive for a number of our west coast meeting and entertainment customers. I focus on p- primarily three areas, live events and sports, uh, production and content creation, and distribution, uh, as well as our ISVs. So, our partners that build software to help us with the production process uh, and distribution and content creation and basically all of the above. I joined Microsoft about seven years ago, it'd be seven years in January, but I spent about 20 years working at a uh, studio. So, I was at MBCU, I was a part of Fox, I was even at Funny or Die, and then uh have some startups and some patents and have done all sorts of stuff in the media and entertainment space. So excited to be here. Uh you know, just following up on what Simon was saying, you know, it's it's interesting, you know, when you think about what Microsoft can bring to the table. There's not a single type of conversation that we can't have. So I want to have a conversation with the CMO. I have a whole slate of things I can talk to them about, talk about distribution, production, content creation. Um I don't know if there's another company out there that has the the breadth of of conversations that we can have.
0: Well, Elliot, thank you for that, and doubling down, to completely agree. Our technology stack is so full of of rich capabilities, not just from an Azure standpoint, but from many of the the different technologies that Microsoft has mastery of, and it would be fantastic to see how far we can push ourselves in that respect. So I'm glad to have you here. Thank you so much. And uh, last, but certainly not least, Andy.
2: Hi. Uh, My name is Andy Beach. I'm our CTO for Media and Entertainment, Um, part of the worldwide industry team. I work uh, for Simon, so I get to work very closely with him, but uh, get to see Ellie in a lot of my conversations as well. My focus here really is around working both with our our industry partners, uh, the ecosystem partners, and the customers that we have around technical strategy and uh, helping figure out the the sort of... the new things that we want to move into Azure or do in Azure that we haven't tried before, trying to help figure those out. I am coming up, I'm, I'm right at the 10-year mark uh, at, uh, at Microsoft and about 15 years in the industry prior to that, uh, working on a variety of things. I've built encoders for a living. I, I was actually an editor in the industry. I uh, built server-side ad insertion technology, so I've, I've, I've kind of played around in all the different parts of the media ecosystem Uh, which makes it handy when you go into conversations uh, with with our partners because invariably I get to pull up uh, old old jobs and, and relive them.
0: That's amazing. that's amazing. and And partners are are certainly part of our success in in so extending our brand and and story. So it's fantastic that you have had the ability to 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 work with such a diverse pool of partners that uh, help enable more of Microsoft's success. And I will say, just hearing how long your ten years have been at Microsoft, I genuinely feel like the youngin at one and a half years. so I, I have a lot to to aspire to here, John. <laughs> I gotta
3: be honest. I gotta be honest too. I gotta be honest too, right? One year feels like 10 years. So I don't know how it feels like 10 years.
1: Yes, this is true. This is very true. I'm talking about about crash course and learning from the best around this panel here as well. My goodness. So, uh, no, we're not nervous whatsoever, guys. Don't worry about it. So, uh, one thing I did want to ask you guys right off the bat, and and obviously it's very, very concerning to all of us, is that we heard that those of us that didn't go to the IBC in Amsterdam, we heard that there was a little bit of a um, an issue around lines and trying to get anywhere. There was a transportation strike. I had uh, colleagues uh, call and say, well, we missed the flight because we just couldn't get to the airport, etc." <laughs> Were you guys hit with that or not? No. Actually, I, uh, I
4: personally, well, Ellie, you go first. Go ahead. Oh, thanks. Uh, so uh, not coming in, but come, leaving. Um, we'd heard nightmare stories about people leaving Monday taking four hours just to get to security, then another two hours to get through security. So uh, I flew out Tuesday, Uh, I had an 11 o'clock flight and I left my hotel at 5.30. Uh, So the the counter didn't open till 7 7 a.m. So I was uh, just standing around uh, with a whole bunch of other people. There were definitely a lot of folks at the airport on Tuesday.
3: I will say that I didn't have Elliot's situation. Um, I uh, had randomly, uh thought ahead and flew into london because i had meetings the day before took the train from london to amsterdam and uh had a very quiet train journey to amsterdam but on the way back i had half the people who tried to fly home uh who couldn't and then on my train back to london uh but actually was fantastic because i was able to have customer conversations the entire (laughs) way for four hours (laughs) that i had not planned for so that was great
2: (laughs) that's a new strategy
0: (laughs) it was a a lucky gift horse you know
2: (laughs) My, I got, I got similarly lucky as well. I uh, I I had intentionally planned to stay a, a couple of extra days, so I didn't fly out till Wednesday. Uh, the show ended sort of Monday, so that was the, the big push. And we had colleagues that were stuck in that line for six or seven hours trying to trying to get out, and several that that missed and had to rebook. But uh, that same experience on Wednesday was a twenty minute walk, and so I I've I've tried to 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 play it down a little bit with them uh but uh, it was it was a much easier journey so
1: nice. i recommend
2: staying staying a couple of extra
1: days exactly it's all about timing right so uh, a lot of the a lot of the people are like great well just go to penn station during rush hour and you can experience that for yourself over here in new york so I think IBC, one of the cool, and Andy, I saw you post on social media mm. about this, right? One of the, the general excitements around this was it was back in person yeah. after three years. Mm. And people were like, oh my gosh, 3D people. This is amazing, right? So how was it different, I guess, in that three-year gap, having conversations in this sort of manner that we do on Teams and Zooms and all these types of calls that we do to now having someone in front of you and being able to have a tactile conversation with them. How was that experience? It, I mean, it was great being back. Uh, you know, both
2: IBC and NAB are sort of long time tent poles in the industry. We, we it's been very common uh, that sometimes those are the only times you see people face to face from the industry for a particular area. So having them gone for the last really three years made it difficult because what invariably happens when you're when you're on these teams calls, you're sort of have a very focused agenda and things that you're moving through, but you don't get to those sort of organic conversations that come out over dinner or drinks or coffee or the happenstance of running into each other. So having that sort of serendipitous moment back was, uh, I think, really invigorating for people. I, I know I came back with a whole bunch of ideas that I, I want to move forward and 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 new new follow ups of things. So it it was just a it was great to see faces and it was great to to be able to have that sort of that that. Sort of organic, opportunistic moment—not a—not something that was a regimented forty-five-minute agenda conversation.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I love those those organically com those organic conversations that things just bubble up, right? Things bubble to the surface. Yeah. You don't start here, but you find yourself meandering into a into a uh, area that makes sense. So, I think, um, Elliot, one of the things that—and and you and I had a, a brief conversation earlier about about you going to IBC, were there any generalized themes that you saw going into it, or that kind of just organically bubbled up, as Andy was saying, through conversations that you were having, that really applied to our space? Now, I say our space because all sports organizations are media organizations as well, right? So we we swim very much in the same pond here. So how did that look to you? Yeah, I think,
4: I think the first thing that really sort of pops out is, is you know three years ago, and by the way, I should mention, this is my first year going to IBC, right? So I go to NAB every year. I, this is my first time at IBC kind of experiencing the whole thing. What really stuck out at me is, one, it was more like a 3D uh, teams meeting. So I kept calling it that, and people were confused what I meant by that. But uh, uh, the other thing was we've been talking about up until then, for the past two, three, four years, we've been talking about moving to virtual production. Why would we move to a virtual like thing in the cloud? Why are we going to do distribution in the cloud? When you know there's people with butts and seats working in offices and everyone's there. Now that whole conversation has shifted. Uh, fortunately and unfortunately, right? It sort of forced people to realize and look at like what technology could do for them when they were no longer able to be all in one place. And so we saw a lot of those themes across all of the uh partners that were in the space, all of the boosts We're we're talking about moving stuff to cloud. So there's a lot more cloud conversations. I think that's one theme that I saw shift. And the other theme, you know, prototypically is. You know um there's a lot more conversations in trying to understand what all of the cloud partners can do not just what one cloud partner can do so we will have a conversation with companies like media kind and then avid and then have conversations with media plus avid and then we'll have a conversation about okay well our workflow is happening in this cloud how do we move it to that cloud and how do we take the best of each one and actually combine it rather than trying to put all the eggs in one basket i think thematically that's sort of what i saw across the board from the conversations we had with our customers in our booth as well as customer conversations that we were having in other uh, partner booths.
0: And before we go too too far down the track, for the for the layperson that may not be aware of what IBC is, could you talk at a high level, you know, about what it is, the conference, and why it was very important for Microsoft to specifically have a presence at the conference, even with the uh, the craziness with with logistics.
3: I'll speak for Andy and I'll speak for Ellie on this one, I guess. Um, you know, for me, um, I'm, I'm actually going to take it back one second, which is to say it was the first time I'd ever been there when I was a vendor. I, I visited for 10 years uh, or more uh, being a customer. I, I literally had never been on that side of the fence. So for me, it was interesting. It was unique. Um, i got to be honest, I'm not sure which I enjoyed more being a customer or a vendor. It's, it's pretty fun. Um, I'll say that there's a lot less setup on, um on being a customer. You could just get to enjoy the booth. But... Um, You know, I think IBC is unique, right. Um, It actually provides a a lot of interesting storylines to come out. They have accelerated programs, which enables partners and customers and and vendors to really come together to generate experiences that the industry is looking for. But more than that, right, it's an event that's by the industry for the industry. Um, I think um, they would articulate it in a very similar way. But, um, you know, you've got such a broad mix of vendors in there, hardware, software, you know, you know, I I think Elliot is exactly right, double down, I saw more cloud than I've ever seen at IBC. Um, I got to be honest, I was stunned by the lack of 5G or, you know, carriers not being there, right, just given the sheer amount of reliance on that kind of content and the edge technology that's really going to have to power, especially for sports, John and Suzanne, right, in terms of what that looks like. So I was a little bit surprised by that. and I'd also say that um you know a lot of the vendors that were there, you know, very hardware driven. I'm thinking, you know, what are they thinking as as we move to the cloud and more of these you know productions and broadcast processes kind of go become or become more cloud native? So for me, um it's a fantastic opportunity to demonstrate with your peers, connect with people, and it's really done in a harmonious way where everyone wants to see each other succeed, right, and, and show what they've got off and you yeah you get like to get awards but it's really a great place to come together i mean for every time you turn around you meet someone that you've seen in the industry for 10 years and, and they they want to hear what you're up to
1: that's awesome and i think and i agree with that it, it is a little surprising that there wouldn't have been more representation for 5g and as you say in sports right having that mobile connectivity is key. Is absolutely key. And we're seeing a lot of a lot more of these these edge compute solutions coming out of tried and, and tested uh, partners, but new partners popping up as well. So I'd be interested to sort of double click on that and see how we could how we can figure out um, why that is the case. Um, so I, I said something probably a little bit off the cuff earlier that every sports organization is a media organization as well, um, and I think a little bit of clarification on that. And and I'll ask you guys to to chime in here. Is that I love the fact that you're talking about cloud and cloud being very, very much a focal point of IBC Um, because a lot of the questions that we get from our sports teams and our sports um, constituents are how do we move our production to the cloud? Now what that means for them is I don't have to have either a big rig going out um, If I'm the, the World Surfing League, for example, I don't want to bring these big rigs with me to all these remote destinations that I go to. How do I have someone sitting back at HQ and, and doing editing or doing highlight reels or doing real-time captioning on the videos that I have now? Is that something that you guys see Microsoft having a good hand in, or do you see us being the platform for partners to, to onboard these capabilities of that? Can you talk to a little bit um of, of how that looks as we feed that into our sports, um, uh, in, into our sports customers. I think you
0: were
2: absolutely right when you said every every sports league is a is a media company. I think we take it even further in the conversations we have. We say every company is a media company now. Uh, particularly uh, over the, the last collective years that that we've shared, uh, media and and really electronic was the only way you were going to connect with with your customers and and connect your employees with each other. And so it became more important than ever to to figure out how to work remote. That's translating back into uh, into people. I think having a greater interest in how they uh, move production workloads to the cloud, so that they are are ahead of the curve and and letting people sort of live where they where they want to or or need to, and and having all of the the work centralized in such a way that they can uh, produce and distribute it. Uh, through through public cloud. And uh, I think that was very important. And I feel like we saw a lot of that at, at the show, like as as we walked around, you're, you're right, the 5g story, I think was probably a little nascent in, in comparison to years past that that have been there where, where it was talked about more. But there was a lot of talk around how we move production into the cloud and how we move live video into the cloud. As a, as a piece of that, We've we've already seen sort of Editorial and other things moving that direction, but actually having live video signal uh, in the cloud and doing virtual production control room or virtual master control room became a, a, a fairly hot topic uh, at the show. And and 5G will ultimately play a part of that, but I think it's it's almost just the underpinnings. And so maybe it it was lost in some of the the messaging that was was out there overall. Fair point.
4: I was just say, I'll just add on. Just like I don't think you know the question about like where Microsoft plays is like we play a piece of that pie. But there's partners. Our partner ecosystem is really what drives all this. You know whether it's Evert or Harmonic or MediaKind or Avid or you know whoever else you know was showing things off in our booth. It's even our SI partners. Right. There's there's all sorts of pieces to this pie. It's not just gonna be one single group that does it. We're going to contribute things like video indexer. We're going to contribute things like our networking or access to our CDNs, but the partners are part of the key as well as the customers and it's collaborative between all of us.
1: Yeah, that's a good call out, right? I mean, a lot of what we do um, in the sports realm is very partner driven, but it is a it is often a combination of first party mm-hmm. and third party solutions coming together and building something that is for that customer, for that moment, for that use case going forward. So that that's interesting. Um, one of the things I did read, um, because somebody took the last ticket, Elliot, and, and I couldn't go not mentioning any names, Elliot. But um, one of the things that I did read in my daily recap from uh, the I'm sorry you're not here email was that OTT seemed pretty hot. Right? Did you guys see that? I mean, OTT is not new, right? Certainly not new at all. But it seems to be having almost a resurgence now where everyone has to have a streaming platform. Everyone has to have a subscription layer on top of that. So you can now uh, cut the cord, but spend five times the amount of money because you have to have 900 different subscriptions. Was OTT a main focus there? And if so, in what capacity is it different? Is it changing? Is it more relevant, less relevant?
2: I mean,
1: I think it's super
2: relevant. Uh, I'll, I'll sort of give you, give my two cents and then I'll I'll pass the, the talking stick to you, Simon. Uh, I, I heard a lot about OTT, but I heard it more as a maturing of, of the offerings that are coming out. And uh, before it was a little more of uh, if I'm a customer and I want to create uh, uh, a content catalog and and own my subscribers, I was really having to stitch the whole thing together myself in order to do it. And there's a lot more of sort of having uh, something as a turnkey service that that's out there. So you, you see a lot more of that. The thing that I think was newer this time the, the new acronym on the block that, that got thrown in a lot was fast channels. Uh, so having having those free advertising uh, uh, supported channels uh, that that as the add on to the OTT piece was really the, the new buzzword of the show and the, the piece that everybody wanted to solve. How do we how do we do this not as a subscriber, but but how do we support it through through advertising?
3: Great point, Sandy. I mean, I think um, for sure the industry has always been driven by advertising, right? I mean, I think uh, it's a huge piece of it. Um, I mean, I think there's definitely been a maturity around the OTT space, Um, you know, from from my standpoint. I think um, you've got more and more traditional media houses now kind of saying, can my linear platform survive and how long will it survive for and and what's going to happen with that? I think uh, they'll milk it for as long as they possibly can. Um, But you've got other organizations which are going full in, they're full on on streaming, right? They're going, this is where I'm going, this is how it's got to work, I need to to figure that out. But also I think what you're seeing is the maturity of the offering, right? I mean, um, so you've got examples where you would see instant, you know, the whole season would come out in like a second or a sports thing would all be available. But now they're holding it for as long as they possibly can to keep you in that platform for a little bit longer, right? So you have to keep coming back for it. You're seeing, as Andy said, more of those fast platforms appear. And you're also seeing probably a little bit of a downturn in SVOD and more of an upturn in AVOD, right? Where you're saying, I need to monetize. And I'd also say there's one other piece that's interesting, and, and certainly leadership on our side would say the same thing. Has personalization gone too far? And do we really care as much as we did about personalization? And it's more about monetization and really about those experiences that people drive. So I think it's a really interesting subject, I mean, I've heard so many people say personalization can go so far, it becomes creepy, right? Well, how much do you really need to know about me? And people don't generally like that, right? And so, especially as we focus more on identity, I certainly know for me, like, I don't want you knowing everything about me. I mean, fine, you can know some things, but I would say, I'll give you what's realistic and what's available. But I would say for for me, I'm, I'm impressed by what we're seeing around OTT, I think Andy's dead on, right, which is that you're seeing more, you know, these platforms that can kind of plug and play a little bit to bring all that to life always um, is going to be the ones who wants to do it themselves, right? You can have the, 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 the ability to do that. But I would say, um, you know, if you're not in streaming at some point or time now, it, it's almost too late. you got to hit your customers. And I'm pretty sure, John, knowing you well enough, as I know, right, there's a data and AI component to that that really matters. And that's where the streaming platform really comes in, because you get to know your market and your content intelligence more than you've ever got to know them, right? So you know uh, me
1: so well, Simon. Right? Indeed. Well, I think, but the the trick there, and I love you bring up that creepy point, right? Because how far is too far? And your version of too Mm -hmm. far versus Suzanne's or mine or Andy's or Elliot's is different based upon what we see value in return, right? I'll give you a little bit more about me because I do want something hyper-personalized because I don't want to make a decision when I come home. Just tell me what to watch or what to do. Um, So there was a a long conversation we had with, with a customer about that to the point where, They didn't want to be creepy, but they also didn't want to lose eyeballs to not being forceful enough in a way that was accepted, right? And I think that debate keeps going. And data and AI certainly plays a huge role in that, right? Um, We we capture data from everywhere in in any which way we can. What you do with it responsibly um, is really the differentiator, I think. Um, And something you you said, Simon, I want to pick up on real quick. And if you're not in streaming now, it's almost too late. How do you think that plays into to places like the NFL, where they just released NFL Plus, right? Where they they're now getting into the streaming game. They've been in it a while. Is it, it, it's it's a bit of a misnomer, but now they're coming at it with their own branding. You think it that is a it's okay because it's a super established brand name, or do you think that still it may be a little bit too late theme carries for them too?
3: I think they're in a unique situation to be perfect now i mean there are very few brands out there like the nfl like major league baseball probably like the epl as well for example mm-hmm. where so well known around the world people are going to go find that content wherever it is right because it's just there i would say that if you're talking about more regional or maybe more i would say more specific or unique kind of you know ott platforms it's going to be a little bit harder to just dis- you know to kind of differentiate yourselves because How many subscriptions can you possibly have, right? But when it comes to that sporting content, people always pay a little bit more for that. I think they're in a unique situation for me, right? I mean, I'm a huge sports watcher, right? I'll follow that content wherever it needs to go because I'm just going to see whoever's got the rights and licenses to it. Do I get critical of how they produce it? Yeah, I do. Um, But but I'm going to follow that sporting content. So I think the NFL, I mean, clearly what we did with the NBA is a unique one. They want to own their own assets. They want to have access to it and they want to understand their customers better right in terms of what they're watching and how they want to watch it so when Andy and Elliot and I will spend some time with the NBA or others right it's not just thinking about how to build the OTT platform of today but the OTT platform of tomorrow right what does that yes. look like right and that's that's a, that's a big effort so Answer your question. I don't think it's too late for some of those major brands. For some, I think um, the longer they wait, the harder it's going to be because that platform or that content will just exist somewhere else, and people will move on. Um, and you've really got to find a compelling reason to have that many subscriptions. Um, so I would I would consider that we'll probably see, you know, more and more consolidation. I'll come back to one other thing super quick though. I was critical of Disney for the longest time. I was inside Disney before Disney Plus launched for a long time. And I couldn't believe they took so long to get it out. Um, And, you know, they've they've done an amazing job with it and how many subscribers do they have today. So I think, but that's another example of unique assets, unique content only they have. Not everyone is as lucky as that.
0: Oh. Agreed, Simon. I, I think the, the the key differentiator when making the decision to go into streaming is how differentiated is your product offering from so many other things that are out there. Your your property, because we've seen other places that have tried to do their own streaming platforms and to mixed success or very little. Um, so I agree with your your point wholeheartedly that the key differentiation is what you're what you're essentially bringing to the table in terms of in terms of content
4: yeah i think i think like to to andy and, and simon's point here is that the bar has come down in terms of how hard it is to go launch on OTT channel i was at nbc when we were launching hulu and we spent years trying to get that done right uh and now you can go do it you know with a few clicks of a button and that because it's so much easier now how do you differentiate yourself from the rest of the noise and you know one of the things that we highlight in our booth and i you know be somewhat self-congratulatory i apologize uh for the rest of this is a my this is a microsoft podcast <laughs> but like you know infusing infusing no, like no. gamification into what you're doing you know we showed off what playfab could do for media and there's a really interesting component around adding game mechanics into a streaming service that is unique and and adds a, a whole different dimension to the experience so whether it's You know, betting on a play, or you know, betting on your favorite player, or just kind of understanding who your favorite people are, so you can get uh, the cuts of your players' uh, highlights within the streaming service is just another dimension on top
1: of the content that you're you're distributing out. I agree. Do you think then that that to your point earlier point, Simon, does that drive engagement? That gamification does that drive the engagement to keep you on platform? right so there may not be another season of drive Drive to survive that i want to watch because all of a sudden i'm an f1 fan who's never heard of it before but it's on netflix and now it's cool but what do i do when i've seen all of them right is there a gamification component that gets the eyeballs stuck to netflix versus going you know what i'm going to go watch rex on hulu now because drive to survive is done
3: well i I mean i would say um if you ask the gaming folks they're going to say yes right i mean i think they believe that the gaming technologies and the strategies they have about keeping you on their platform or their games, right. would absolutely works. And historically based on the results, you'd say I have to write given like where Minecraft has continued to say, stop when they leverage the same technology. Um, I think Elliot's right. I think we wrote to leverage gamification um, at our show, right. In terms of where we stood in the booth, which was just fantastic. I think it goes beyond that though. I think it's, it's gamification, but it's a unification of the experience. Right. So, you know, understanding where they are at all the different entry points, um, you know, I I think is really key. You're not only having an ability to provide them real-time gamification aspects, but you can also communicate them with them, even if it's gamification or not. And they want to be able to interrupt that journey almost in real time, right? To understand what they're watching, why they're watching, how they're interacting. I mean, We've always said right the content is critically important but i think experiences and technology can really drive differentiation in that space um, we've demonstrated that with the way we've used our xbox technology to do that but i would say um, gamification definitely is tried and tested I actually think it's gonna be interesting to see who guys can get it best on their platform, right? Because to do so with both sports content or traditional content and to engage the customer in a unique way around that, that's not a game but a show, I think would be fascinating to see how that transpires. Um, because the technology is there, it's proven how will they bring it to life, I think is
2: what I'm looking forward to seeing. Yeah, I, I agree with that part. It's it's we're we're just at the cusp of what is what is a streaming platform look like that has those gamification mm-hmm. pieces and the 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 one word we didn't say in in that last piece about this is like it's really community building. It's bringing together like-minded people who have very specific interests and giving them the ability to to talk, interact, and share their their love of a particular you know team or league or player uh, as as part of that experience.
4: I was just gonna say it's almost like you know when we when we first had cable. So you have, you know, your four channels Technically, you have your three broadcast channels, and then you started getting these niche players to sort of address a subsection of a of a market. And so you started watching HGTV, or you started watching, you know, USA Network, or whatever happens to be. And so as these OTT channels continue to grow and proliferate, you start to feed these niches of people that are super into just like the Minnesota Vikings, or just my Green Bay Packers, or you know, like whatever happens to be. So there's a there's ubiquity of content that's coming to fruition. So I can actually enjoy the thing very specifically that I want in a personalized, non-personalized way. You need to bring it back to what we're talking about
1: earlier. I agree. And I think that sense of community um it it poses a question for me and and something that I don't know how to answer it. Or maybe that there is a couple of answers, right? So you bring up your Green Bay Packers example, right? You you say it's my Green Bay Packers, right? You have that affinity towards it. And Simon, you say, I'll, I'm going to go where the content is, and, and I want to follow that content. And Andy, you said that there's that there's a sense of community we can build around the gamification that. So what matters most here? And this is an open question and maybe a little bit um, controversial. Is it the content or is it the quality of the delivery of that content? Which matters most here? Will people put up with a shitty experience because, hey, it's my Green Bay Packers? Or at some point, it's a go, you know what? I'm out. I just can't do this anymore. The the experience is just too awful. I'll, I'll leave that as an open mic drop nugget.
3: <laughs> well, I'm a, I'm am I'm a purist, right? So for me, I um I I it got to be like the right mix of everything together. Like if you have terrible commentators or the well, the presentation is pathetic um and I say I hate to say it in a very negative way, but if it is, right? I don't enjoy it as much, right? And am I going to sit there for 2 or 3 hours to watch the same thing? I'm not going to do it. I I'll, I'll you know, the number of times um, through bad productions, have I turned down the sound and put up a radio, because I wanted to, I wanted to hear like a different perspective, I'm going to do that, right? Because I can all live with that for so long. You know, Elia, Andy, and others, or yourself, John, and Suzanne, you, you probably have an idea, when you turn on something, you know, kind of the voices and the sounds that you want to yes. hear, right? And that's incredibly important for sports, right? They try and, provide that so when there was the pandemic going on and there were no no crowds in there they tried to simulate what it would like with a crowd it was hard to watch right um very so (laughs) right and so I would say you know the content matters just as much as the experience around the content to me right you gotta it's almost got to be a perfect blend of both that's why those things really work um, for me right Um, and when you've got people who are authentic and genuine about those things I'm engaged right I'm listening I want to hear what they've got to say Um, and that's where the beauty of a platform really comes in right because you can keep them there you've got all these different things come together i'll never leave right i'll I'll just stay there so for me it's a bit of both i'm not sure andy or uh, elliot if you feel differently but for me it's got to be the perfect symmetry of both
2: it's a balancing act for sure it's the the the, the, there's often the adage that the, the the most important camera you own is the one in, that you have in your pocket. And it's kind of true in, in when you're talking about media content as well. Like I- anything that will get you the experience is, is critical, even if it's a crappy one. I very distinctly remember in 2004 having a friend in Germany uh, point, it, point a, a web camera at uh, his TV so we could watch the World Cup. Uh, and that was the only way we could get it. Uh, at the time and and uh, there are plenty of hacks out there like that in in the world to to watch it uh to watch your favorite thing the but it's the combination of the stream platform itself and the experience that it provides you that's going to to make for that it's the combo of the two the balance so I think if you have a rich community people will will put up with with a crappy stream if they have to but it's harder, it's harder to go the other direction if there's no community at all, uh, but, but, but a high quality spigot, uh, you know, it's not gonna see the attraction uh, of, of the customer the, in quite the same way. It's, it's the interaction. The, there's, a, there's something tribal or communal about the viewing experience, and we want that as a, as a viewer.
4: Just to put a slightly different spin on it, the content itself, the why, I'm going to this location is is really important. I will go to a thing to get the, get the content that I want, even if the experience in and of itself is poor. My expectation, however, is that over time that experience gets better because at some point I'm just going to get frustrated with, like, even though they have the content I want, my experience of getting access to that content, to that thing that I want is so bad that it's no longer worth it. And then you Trish, and then you move on to something else. So. Um, I'm willing, maybe I'm unique in that space, but I'm willing to put up with that initial experience with the hopes that it's gonna get better over time. My expectation is that it's going to iterate.
0: Yeah, Elliot, not to I agree with you to and and of course I'm dating myself here, but I likened it to uh you know the when we were still watching television with the with the antennas, and you had to have it in such a way to get certain channels. And and I remember the biggest thing for me uh, was Saturday night. I had to watch uh what is now World Wrestling Entertainment. And, you know, making sure that my antenna was just right so that I could see Hulk Hogan and crew, you know, appropriately, even though it was, it was terrible. It was like real, like you could barely see it through the snow. But it's like, this is my Saturday night. This is my Saturday night ritual. And I'm going to bear with it because I love it so much. Um, yeah. Now, not so much. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, well, it's, but, just, but the experience has
4: yeah. improved, right? Like, you know, yeah. have cable. you can now get an OTT or whatever. So that experience <laughs> exactly. improves and you go back to that content.
0: Well, it's
3: also probably on demand, like five minutes later on YouTube, right, or something like that, right? So, I mean, you can find it relatively quickly, right? It's, um, so that's you, the other and, thing that, and that was not the case, right? That was, you know, they just that's, and I think that sometimes what we we forget, right, is that um, it hasn't really been that long since all of this stuff has really been around. If you really think about it, like the, the changes we've absorbed uh, in you know content creation, content distribution, and content experience, right? it's really just been crazy since, like. Maybe the early '90s, right? That's not a long time for all of this stuff to evolve.
0: No, not at all, not at all. And and, and and it's funny when you talk to the younger generation, it's like it's always been. And I'm like, I promise you, this is this has not always been the case. So you're absolutely right, Simon. It's like we're we're, we're continuing to push the envelope, but it's only been a a fair bit of time that we that we've been out on this in terms of content delivery. I
4: think I think the two things are merging to some degree. So we're seeing ATSC 3.0 come in, which may not make sense to everyone that's coming, that's on this stream or let's listening to this or watching this. Um, but the sort of the convergence of broadcast and digital is sort of converging in this ATSC 3. So that's that 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 experience is continuing to improve even on you know regular television or broadcast television. I, I think it's an interesting and important point And Simon's point only been 20 or 30 years since we've really had that super poor experience to what we have today.
0: Exactly, exactly. Just kind of giving people that frame of reference, especially when they complain with like a major, you know, like a minor glitch um, in in streaming and streaming quality. Uh, So one of the things I I wanted to go back to that you talked about at the beginning was, you know, seeing the presence and more discussions um, surrounding uh, a cloud at this particular conference. Do you do you see this as for media and entertainment companies, perhaps like a, a acceleration of their willingness to really adopt more cloud into their organizations, into their workflows, or do you get the sense that there might still be work to be done to, to really get them on, on board?
3: Almost my favorite question that you leave to, uh, um, close to the end, but I'm not sure. I'm sure Andy and Elliot have this question. I mean, I'll, I'll chime in, but I think the other guys here can equally talk to this. I think, um, you know, it's probably the one conversation that continues to come up. Are we ready for the cloud and how much cloud are we ready to do? Right. Uh, I think they realize um, more and more that from a sustainability angle, from a capability or, you know, scalability perspective, they need the cloud you know, they cannot continue to absorb and kind of create on-prem data centers to support all this stuff or have the trucks at the stadiums, for example, where they had before, because it's only a matter of time before the regulations around sustainability and the carbon footprint really hit home to sports. Um, we're not there yet. And if I know anything about this industry, it's gonna be three months before that deadline is due, they'll be starting frantically to work on it. Um, I also think you you touch on uh, Andy's favorite conversation, probably Elliot's as well, because he's in the field that has more of these conversations, right? But cloud economics, what does that look like, right? Data, flow, data flows and media are enormous. Those files are gigantic. Um, how do you deal with that? Mm. So to me, I think um, the, the cloud conversation is definitely here. I think it's now finding the right people to have the conversations with, demonstrate the capabilities that it brings, and to be aware that it may not always be cheaper but the capabilities that you get from this process and the ability to drive those things out are gonna be more sufficient, more more than sufficient and probably exceed your expectations in terms of what you can do, especially as you kind of have this competition for eyeballs and keeping people on your platform, right? Um, so to me, I think it's the faster they go, the better um, because the ones who get it right are gonna be around to stay a lot longer than the ones who don't. Um, so Andy and Elliot, go ahead. You got your own opinion, I'm sure.
2: I. I think you know you you said it, and the the question was posed very much in a sort of uh, like we're at Microsoft kind of way. Like, is the industry ready for for the cloud? I, I think the customers are saying, is the cloud ready for us? Uh, it is the reality because I think it's a that there's a lot of understanding both from a technology and a business standpoint around around how they do their business. Uh, so that we can help them move into the cloud, and I, I think we we continue to evolve that direction. And and moments like IBC are great moments to sort of quickly see the wide array of innovations that have gone on. I saw more changes this year, in part because it had been three years since we had all been in Amsterdam together, uh, since since we had the luxury of of seeing those. But but getting back to sort of this regular cadence of being able to check in and see how the industry is moving. Gives the customers the confidence that we're heading in the right direction. It helps us see and understand the the problems that the partners have, in in contributing to that uh, for particular reasons that they may need a you know a particular function to work a certain way. Uh, so it, it it's that sort of blend of all of the pieces. Understanding the ecosystem and their and their needs is a piece of it. Uh, but but understanding just the, the the sheer scope of of change that goes with adopting the cloud
4: uh, is is kind of a big part of it. I think adding to like sort of what Simon was saying was when I first started here, at Microsoft, uh, the conversations are, why should we move to the cloud? We have all this on-prem stuff. Like it's more it's way more costly to do it in the cloud, and that that certainly has shifted. There, there's no more question of do we have to utilize the cloud? We have to. Um, you know, to Simon's point around the cost, you know, when you said it, I started thinking about when we do archival for footage, we try to get the highest quality mezzanine file that we possibly can, whether it's JPEG 2000 or whatever whatever that file is. The reason that we do that is because we don't know what the future is going to require for that content. So do I need to transcode into another format? Do I need to create it for something else? So, you know, using the cloud gives us the ability to store and retain Un, almost unlimited amounts of information, some degree, unlimited amounts of information, and then have different use cases in two years, in five years, in fifteen years from now. I don't know what the world's going to look like then. the The level of acceleration of of of, of technology is moving so quickly that six, that five minutes from now could be a completely different story. But being able to have all these processes, have all access to all this content, have all access to all these things, so I can make those changes when I need to, um, is is compelling reason to start to move to cloud, because um, you're going to be able to take the content and do something with it, and it's already in a place where you can do the distribution.
0: No, oh, absolutely, and and I think you all hit on some some very key points. I don't think it's a, a question of of if, it's just you know in what capacity, and and having more of those discussions around culture around cost, around capabilities. And um, I think you, uh, Andy, I think you, you hit it on the head. Is the cloud ready for for media and entertainment? And, and I'm biased. I, I think it I think it is. Uh, but I still think that there's a little bit of that uh, community building and, and convincing to really get people to feel comfortable about making that investment to, to move forward.
3: That goes to one term, though, that really does in my mind. Um, and I felt as a customer before I came to Microsoft, and which is consistency, right? Um, and so especially in sports, especially in broadcasting, you know, those are zero you know, workflows, right? And so you need to show up time and time again and demonstrate that you can do the same workflow consistently with the same output and have issues. So that generates the trust that they have in your in your platform, your cloud and others to do the things that you need to do beyond security and trust and other things. Right. It is about just showing up and getting it done. I think IBC demonstrated that, that we can do it now. We just have to keep on doing it. Um, right. And that's where people go, OK, Microsoft is really here. That's that's my two cents.
1: I think that's a spot on point. Right. And, and something because. Sports, right? Selfish question here is that showing up and getting it done, right? Nowhere is more important in my mind, obviously a little bit biased than sports, because you get the moment on the field, on the diamond, on the pitch, on the crease, and that's it, right? If you didn't capture that moment and you didn't put that content out in the timely fashion where it needed to be shown, how it needed to be shown and when it needed to be shown, it's gone, right? So I think it's critically, critically important that Not only does every sports company become or be a media company, but they need to be a really, really good one too, right? And I think cloud is the only on-ramp that gets them to the scale that they need to scale because we have fans, to your point, um, Elliot, my Green Bay Packers, right? we got over 18,000 people in Sydney alone, Australia, right, going there, my Green Bay Packers, right? But they got to get content at the same time as yours. Right. And they're going to get the content at the same time as the linear content that's coming on TV. And so I think it's it's a super interesting time for us. And, and I'll ask one rap question here because we're going to let you guys go back and do your day jobs as well. Is as far as Microsoft being well positioned as we established for the, the broadcast and for the, the production industry, how well do you think we are posed for that but in a sports lens, right? Given the nuances that sports brings it with broadcast, um, with live action, for example, how well do you think we are posed to take on that part of the industry?
3: Go on, Andy. Okay, this is, I'll go. I'll chime in. But going will make Andy go first. He, he, Andy's love of sports is, is amazing, so I'm going to make him go first. Here
2: We go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think if you look at everything we're doing with the NBA that just got announced, uh, that 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 is your your bellwether for that. Uh, I think we're we're in a good position for this, and it, there's a lot of untapped opportunity that that we're bringing in how you how you connect not only the the media experience but the the data side that that drives that that next gen version of the the user experience that all of the sports customers are going to want.
3: I'm, I will add on my end, right, that I think uh, there is a unique moment in time right now where sports, I think, is really demonstrating how these broadcasts can be done differently through the cloud. The the competition for even those light those rights and licenses, how those people experience that content. And I think we forget sometimes that it's not just US-based, right? It's worldwide. How are people experiencing that? And how does that content move from one place to the other with regional and localization to take into effect and do so in real time? This is your point, John. I mean, realistically, I want to make sure that I'm giving it up to the second in terms of what's going on because I get on another platform 10 seconds before I'm going right over there, right? I'm not going to wait. Um, and so I think... Um, you know, I think nowhere is innovating faster than sports and broadcasting in terms of what needs to happen in that space. They need it. They want to go faster. Um, I'm excited. I, I am. I, I'm, I'm thinking that what we did at IBC around the NBA content, as Andy said, is just the start of us doing more and more. Um, and I think sports is a great place to innovate from. I'm sure Elliot would probably add more um, around what he's seeing um, from a customer perspective as well. He sees more customers than me. So I would say he probably knows uh, a little bit what they're thinking
4: I think what's super interesting about sports is more so than any other sort of type of content is that it creates so many more communities, right? There's so many more people. Our, our, our good pal, Scott Davis, right? Like, you know he is he goes to a city he wants to go to the the football field and he wants to go see a game and and he wants to get part of that that community that's there and there's so many groups of these communities and they're not just in one space what what do we find out about Real Madrid that you know they've got a huge contingent of folks in in China that are massive fans of Real Madrid and you know it changes the way that they do their their touring and their and their exhibitions and and how they how they sort of create their content i think there's a really interesting compelling Piece around that community and how Microsoft can help sort of drive to them with either you know customer insights or some of the tools. I don't want to talk about the tools that we have, but the tools that we do have to help you understand who those people are, how we can help you engage those audiences, so you can not uh, you can give those people what they want, where they want, and when they want it.
0: Well said. Well, uh, Simon, Elliot, Andy. Thank you so much for your time today and for the wonderful conversation. Um, I, I have a little bit of envy that I wish I was there you know, <laughs> to enjoy it, but maybe maybe next year, John, maybe.
1: <laughs> What's up for that last ticket? It goes pretty quickly, I've got to be honest with you. <laughs> um, but
0: <laughs> in all seriousness, thank you, guys. It's been a true pleasure talking with you today.
4: Yes, thank you, you
2: so much. Yeah, thank
4: you.
0: With that, everyone, we are at the end of our episode, uh, but we hope that you enjoyed the conversation. By all means, please feel free to leave us feedback for this uh, or for future episodes. Uh, But until next time, take care and we'll see you soon.